We turn now to the scripture lesson from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he that opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a confession. I have never much appreciated this story of Lazarus, especially when I started working at a hospital as a chaplain and people would often ask for me to pray for their healing. And while I believe healing is very central and important to the good news of the gospel, it was hard because patients often had a very specific vision of what being healed looked like. They hoped my prayers would do something similar to what Jesus did in this passage. And let me just say, Jesus is a tough act to follow. As we gather around the tomb in this text, I confess that I also get frustrated by it because it raises so many more questions than it answers. Why raise just Lazarus? Why not other loved ones? Why not my loved one or the loved one in that hospital room for whom I was praying? And why does Jesus have to cap it off with that prayer? That prayer makes him sound a bit pretentious, the type of person who stops suddenly in the crowd or maybe at a meal and halts everyone around him and takes those moments of the captive audience to look up to heaven and say, thank you for hearing me, God. We've all seen people who pray like that. These words, as John writes them, can make Jesus seem like a God who is floating on a cloud above a crowd, glorious, unfazed, delivering beautiful teachings from on high. Yet, of course, the scriptures always deserve a second look. And when I read this text more closely, Instead of focusing on Christ and the glorifying prayer as I saw it the first time, I instead started underlining the words related to emotions in this text. There is weeping here from Mary and the Jews. Jesus gets greatly disturbed twice and deeply moved. 
He begins to weep, and the word used for weeping, some scholars have pointed out, could more aptly be translated as bawling. Then at the end, he is shouting in a loud voice. All of these Greek words about emotion carry an extra weight of frustration and indignation that our English might not translate properly. This is not a story about prayerful detachment. This is a story about intense emotions and painful vulnerability, about the very real experience of losing someone you love to death. As one pastor wrote, the death for a Christian is never just a tragedy because there is always an element of hope tucked within it, and yet it is always a tragedy and no amount of faith and trust and wise words and consoling gestures can take away feelings of aching loss and blinding grief. This is what I so often wanted to say in those hospital rooms, though it was not the right time and place. Healing comes in many different forms. Faith will not take away death. Prayer won't eliminate pain. Believing in God's promise won't save us from hurts or wounds or goodbyes. Instead, faith is our belief that goodbye will not be the final word. After all, even Jesus died. Even he defeated death by going through it, and he wept when he faced that reality. This story of Lazarus in John's gospel foreshadows what will happen with Jesus himself in just a few more chapters. A cave-like tomb appears in both stories with a stone rolled across it. Where have they laid him, Jesus asks, and their response makes him weep. And this question is echoed a few chapters later in the cries of Mary at the Easter tomb, when she declares, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Here at the intersection of life and death, of old things passing away and new things coming into being, here where heaven and earth are meeting in a moment of revelation, here there is weeping. Here at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus is anguished. Our creator, redeemer, sustainer is not floating on a cloud, detached from the reality of what it means to live and to die. Our God of the ages has a poured glorious immensity into fragile human form so that we here might reach out and touch and hear and see and feel and perhaps begin to understand something more about our God we begin to understand how much God loves us. Throughout the scriptures, we see a Jesus who loves spending time sitting at tables with friends, telling stories. This is the Jesus who then weeps at their death. C.S. Lewis writes about what this means for our faith life. He says, we follow one who wept over Jerusalem and the grave of Lazarus. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. After all, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and disturbances of love is hell. Today in the church year is called All Saints Day, which falls the Sunday closest to November 1st, November 1st this year. <clears throat> and at this time of year, we Christians look back and remember those who have died in the faith, those who have experienced life on this side of the grave and who now live into the promises of what come next. In our Protestant tradition, we remember those who have died and we call them saints not because they are more perfect than other humans, but because they revealed something of what it means to love others and love God in such a way that we can still learn from them. Saints appear in every generation. As Presbyterians, we don't think saints need to perform miracles. Indeed, sometimes the only miracles that a saint might perform is the decision to be vulnerable in a hurtful world, to choose love instead of fear, to believe in God's abundance rather than in human scarcity. As Lewis described, these saints are those who do not lock their hearts away. They take their love out of the box. They pour their hearts and souls and spirits into the world. They might become bruised, but they also become delighted. They are strengthened and they are also stretched. It is never either or. Saints are not heroes or idols. They are not always martyrs, and they might not be anyone that we actually hear about. Saints are those who do a heroic act and then believe it illuminates God's glory instead of their own. In our world of 24-hour news and celebrity channels, it might be hard to picture how some heroic acts could go unnoticed. We expect everything to end up on YouTube eventually. Perhaps the great philosophical question of our age is, if it doesn't go viral, did it really happen? And does it matter? All Saints Day says that yes, yes, it did happen, and it did and does still matter. Jesus takes time going to the tomb of Lazarus because he is spending several days in prayer. The crowds and even the disciples around him are confused by his lack of urgency. People whisper, we just saw him heal the blind man. What's he waiting for? The crowds have seen him do incredible healing acts before and they want to see it again. They want to be entertained to see Jesus top his former performance. But Jesus won't play that game. He is not going to turn Lazarus' death into a feat of entertainment in order to impress the crowd. 
healing Lazarus is different. Indeed, this is the beginning of the end for Jesus. If you look in the gospel, the very next story is about the authorities beginning to plan and plot for his arrest. They are stirred up by his acts here at the tomb of Lazarus. So this is not just another healing story. This is something entirely different. Jesus in this story is doing something amazing, but he is not doing it in order to impress or entertain us. Jesus is facing his own anguish in order to reveal God's promise of new life for us. And this new life isn't revealed just in words. Here it is revealed in flesh and in blood. Jesus will show us God's promise even if it brings him pain. Jesus will show us God's love even if it kills him. The saints we celebrate today, saints like Jim Mays and Suzanne Bunting and all those whom we will name out loud in our prayer, these are the lives that we want to follow, and they are not of people who are living in order to impress and entertain other people. These are the lives of those who get to work each day because they believe in something that is happening, something big, something amazing, in which they can participate. They are the ones who commit their resources because they believe that God can use them they are the ones who keep taking their love out of the box of their selfishness and putting it into the world to share what they have rather than hide it, to risk bruising their hearts rather than to watch them grow hard. On this side of the grave, love makes our hearts soft and vulnerable. On this side of the grave, love comes intertwined with grief and other complicated emotions. Here at this place, at this place where death will not have the final word, here and now in this story, there is still crying. Here there are people drawing together around a grave, and here there is Jesus shouting, shouting into the rocks, into the dark, into his own anguish, praying and commanding the earth to set free his friend. Here at the tomb is the place where Jesus weeps, and we weep. And yet here is also the place where Christ reveals that love will not stay bound in the ways that we expect. Indeed, I know and I bet you know that we are all still shaped by the lives and the words and the deeds of those whom we love, whether they have been dead for a few days, a few months, or many, many years. Love will not be bound by whatever box we put it in, Love is going to do incredible things beyond our imaginations or our logical understandings. Death will not have the final word. Something is going on, something which the saints who have died have now glimpsed in full glory. And at times, we too can receive glimpses of God's great promise, the promise outlined in the words of Isaiah, we too receive glimpses of moments when we shall eat our fill of delicious feasts and every tear will be wiped from every eye. We too receive glimpses of God's glory in the darkness just before the dawn. We too receive glimpses of God's great love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. 
And we, too, can try to risk vulnerability and practice loving outside of all bounds, outside of all boxes. And in the end, these glimpses add up into a vision that can keep us going, even when we're standing at the tomb, even when we're experiencing all sorts of emotions. These are the vision that will keep us going until the one day we'll arrive at the moment when we are unbound and freed and we can say, oh, now is the time to feast. Now is the time to rejoice. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we are your children and you are our creator, redeemer, sustainer. You meet us here in the world, around tables and tombs and in our relationships, and you invite us to follow you, to follow you out into the world. Help us today to commit to join with you wherever you may lead. In your holy name we pray, amen.